Good morning, and welcome to Atheist's Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We appreciate you tuning in or streaming this morning. Today is Sunday, August 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan, and my guest today is Kari Johnston. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org or on Twitter as Atheists Talk to follow up. The skeptic movement started as a way to protect people from charlatans, mediums, psychics, and other people who made promises the laws of physics suggest they can't possibly keep. It's combated anti-vaxxers and championed evolution, but people broadly regarded to be skeptics have also denied climate change and promoted racial pseudoscience. We're talking this week of Corey Johnston of the Brainstorm podcast about how we got here and whether we can reclaim skepticism as something meaningful. Welcome to Atheist Talk, Corey. Hi, thanks for having me. So, what the heck happened to skepticism? Oh, geez. Uh, okay, is that too big a question? <laughs> we, can, we can back up a little bit. Um, so, tell me how, uh, let's start with you, how you got involved in what we would consider the skeptical movement or skeptical activism. Uh, I guess about, uh, it's got to be 10 or 11 years ago now, uh, maybe even longer, but I was just interested in atheism and I actually watched a debate with Christopher Hitchens and that kind of drew me into the atheist movement. And so I started looking things up and I found like Qualia Soup as a YouTube channel and uh, that got me interested in the actual idea of scientific skepticism. So I guess that's how I got into it. And then I guess about six years ago almost, I started the Brainstorm podcast, which me and a bunch of friends chatted about various topics and tried to apply our critical thinking skills as they were at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, always actually a worthwhile point to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they've definitely evolved over the years. So for our listeners who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about Brainstorm. Uh, generally, it's a... Uh, like a panel show, I guess, where uh, me and a bunch of my fellow local skeptics get together in a studio and we just talk about various topics uh, in the news. And we've tried different segments over the years, different ideas about uh, we once had a atheism for dummies or a skepticism 101 where we tried to like educate people a little bit. And uh, <laughs> as time has gone on, it's been more and more one on one interviews where I've done the work uh, myself and just talking to various people from skepticism, atheism, and uh, even different other movements too. If, are there any of those approaches that you think has worked particularly well for getting skepticism across or helping people be more skeptical? I'm, I'm honestly not really sure. Uh, we get a lot of feedback and people really enjoy like segments where they, they, think it's funny right but i'm not sure that that's teaching new people how to apply critical thinking to things so i'm not really <laughs> <laughs> no I, I again i think that's fair um because you know i started this out by saying what happened to the skeptical movement um and, and actually there are probably a bunch of people listening to this who have no idea what i'm talking about so um you want to maybe 
give people a little bit of background on the problems that you see the skeptical movement as, have, as having had recently, recently maybe be even being the last several years. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm sure we'll get into more of it. So kind of a, a, an overview at this point is probably good. Yeah, I think I think the problem with skepticism right now is that we got caught up in this idea that we were the ultra rational super thinkers. And that caused us to as a movement almost reject things if we didn't recognize the evidence for it quickly. I guess probably you have listeners who are into social justice and and that's the big divide that happened when I was Let's see, four years ago when I started my uh, a side project examining the claims for social justice, the, uh, the atheist and skeptic movement was at uh, almost an impasse, right, where one side was like anti-social justice and the other side was, was pro-social justice. And I'm sure they wouldn't necessarily characterize, characterize themselves that way, but that's what it came down to. Is there a particular issue that maybe illustrates how this played out? Uh, uh-huh. Just as an example, not you know one specific that is the problem. I think you can kind of look at the way that YouTube atheism kind of went from atheism to anti-feminism. <laughs> they really spent a lot of their time and energy arguing against feminism as though it were a religion without ever actually cl- examining the claims or the evidence that was presented. That's reasonable. Uh, <laughs> I, I say as one of the feminists who was targeted by that. So obviously yeah. I am biased. <laughs> it's a, been a weird kind of situation where like even big names who at one time, everybody in atheism and skepticism kind of was like, okay, this is a person that we can trust to be, rational and reasonable and make good decisions and then they took those labels of rational and reasonable and they almost lorded them over other people so then they could say well the things that i say are wrong are wrong because i'm a rational person rather than here's the reasons why i disagree with that type of mentality if you would like to feel free at any point in here to name names we're not (laughs) <laughs> that's that's not the point but if if it is something that helps people understand we're also not afraid to name names here okay yeah i i mean obviously there's there's some definite problems with richard dawkins and sam harris <laughs> <laughs> but even like uh, a seth andrews who i really i was really a, an avid follower right up until even a couple of years ago i kept giving him chances on our disagreements, right? Like I thought that he would come around to some more nuanced way of looking at things, but he just kept rejecting the social justice side of things. And I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so when some, when you say that somebody does this without even looking at the evidence, what kind of arguments do you find people making or, or if they're not making arguments, what are they doing in place of making arguments? Uh, there's a lot of what about and moving the goalposts, stuff like that. But the one thing I see a lot of is where a woman will come forward with uh, claims of sexual harassment or or something like that, and <laughs> the men in the skeptical movement have a tendency to go, oh, well, 
that's just one claim. I don't have enough evidence to make a judgment call as though it's, we're dealing with homeopathy and it's somebody telling them that this, it were, it worked for them, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing when a woman, I mean, obviously, you know, but <laughs> when a woman says that they're sexually harassed, that's a thing that happened to them. <laughs> we can't, can't just dismiss it as anecdotal evidence. It just, it drives me up the wall. <laughs> So you're saying they kind of treat it as treat it as an extraordinary claim right off the bat rather than something that happens all the time and is maybe even likely. Yeah, that's right. Like I think a good example of that actually is uh and there's another one is Matt Dillahunty has had some problematic uh things going on and when Lawrence the claims came out about Lawrence Krauss, he actually made the mistake of comparing the claims of inappropriate acts and predatory sexual behavior to the witnessing of a ghost <laughs> like when he was on stage with Sam Harris so like that's clearly a, a false equivalence like there's no way like I don't I don't really know how he managed to even come up with that in his head but you, you think sexual harassment and assault are a little more common than ghosts is that what you're I telling would, me that's my opinion anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't I, know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not trying to like put you on the spot with that. I'm just I sometimes some of the stuff I don't know how to deal with except by being a little bit sarcastic. So No, absolutely. Yeah, I I get it. <laughs> I I mean, and that's what Twitter's for, right? <laughs> <laughs> the I'm snarky comeback. <laughs> that's that's my I try to be pretty nice and nuanced and I don't, I don't often write, like try to call people out in podcasts or even on Facebook so much, but when it's on Twitter and they say something stupid, I just, I got to go at them. <laughs> Do you, this, this may not be a question that you can really answer flat out, but. Do you think they really don't know how to think about this or do you think that I'm sounding conspiratorial thinking as I'm saying this <laughs> and I don't mean it that way. But do you think there are other things going on? Uh, do you think that anybody really thinks that <laughs> sexual harassment and assault is as common as ghosts? No, I don't think they really think that. <laughs> I think sometimes they get like stuck in there. Well, this is my friend or my person and I, they, I don't think that they can be guilty of it. And, uh, like, you know, everybody's caught up in their own biases and, and we all, we have blind spots. So part of it is that a person like Matt, who has been a voice in favor of feminism in the past can make that kind of, I don't know, off the cuff mistake perhaps. And he did, he did chain, you know, kind of fall in line when the evidence became overwhelming, but for some of us, that was almost too late. When we come back, I would like to talk a little bit about what really falls under the purview of skepticism and how maybe as skeptics we should be handling even just situations and issues like this. Please stay with us through the break and we will return to Atheist's Talk with our guest, Corey Johnston. I'm Stephanie Zvan and you're listening to AM950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Atheist Stock. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org or on Twitter as Atheist Stock to follow up. Today's guest is Corey Johnston. Welcome back, Corey. So we were talking a little bit in the first segment about where skepticism has fallen down um, with skeptics applying themselves on social justice issues. There was talk um, a number of years ago, uh, probably even longer than you have um, (laughs) been in the skeptic movement, about whether we shouldn't be just limiting skepticism to... um, Claims that we can specifically uh, look at scientifically. Um, right. Part of me wants to call these very simple claims. Um, <laughs> well, and, and that's something I do actually want to expand on later because I think we have a real problem with um, social sciences and skepticism. Yeah. But that's a, a bigger topic that I, I want to get to. Do, do you feel that this is really something that we should be making clear that when we're discussing this, we're just discussing this as private people? Or do you think this is something that we need to figure out a little better how to grapple with as skeptics? Yeah, I think we have to figure out how to grapple with it, obviously. like Because it it depends, too, what you mean by skepticism. I mean, uh, climate change skeptics or climate change deniers call themselves skeptics. Um, 9-11 truthers call themselves skeptics, right? Right. So, so if, if the goal is to apply critical thinking to things in general, then I, I think that's what skepticism should be. Um, and again, I, I don't want to necessarily call anybody out, but the, uh, skeptics guide to the universe crew tends to avoid politics. And I think like, right now politics is one of the very important things that we need to be applying skepticism to if our critical thinking skills aren't applied when discussing some of the the way that policy can affect other people then what is even the point right so do you feel all skeptics should be tackling politics or do you think that's just something that within the skeptical movement, we should probably not push aside. <laughs> I kind of think all public skeptics should be t- tackling politics on, on some level. <laughs> but maybe they don't have to have it as their main focus, right? But uh, as a movement, we certainly can't be pushing it to the side. And uh, you mentioned social sciences, and I think that that's something that the movement skepticism really has an issue with. Uh, we We definitely need to uh, start incorporating some of the evidence that so- the social sciences have given us and and use that to inform ourselves about our politics or even the way that uh, we treat medicine in different cultures, perhaps. Go ahead and expand on that, please, the, the specifically the medicine in other cultures, because that is not really something that I study, and that's that's part of the reason that I asked you about whether everybody should be tackling politics, because... There, there are chunks of politics that I feel I'm well qualified to tackle, and there are some where I feel like I would be a person 
applying critical skills to absolutely no knowledge whatsoever. <laughs> well, and that's fair. I mean, we only know what we know, right? But I guess to address the medicine and other cultures thing is that sometimes we we kind of ignore the the way that our uh, culture informs our our medical knowledge. We assume and I'm not I'm not advocating for alternative medicines. I'm saying that like sometimes the medicine that we use in the West uh, and I hate that term. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't have the same usefulness or impact in another setting. And I mean, it's obviously a very complex uh, subject that I, I only have a kind of a surface level knowledge of, but there's some, there are some great books on, uh, the way that different cultures treat medicine and not all of them involve like going to the doctor the way we do and, and uh, getting a diagnosis and a treatment in the same way that we do it here. So if we're thinking about something that in another culture might be considered medicine that wouldn't be here, is there an example that you can give people that, of something that you would consider valid, uh, worth looking at, but maybe culture-bound, I think, is the appropriate term for this? Yeah, I'm trying to come up with something off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's um, things like giving, you know, people giving themselves permission to rest, even yeah. that that we're not good at in our um, Puritan-derived society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even like uh, the idea that. Like, cause we have our doctors so overworked and every doctor only spends a minimum amount of time with people. And I think in other cultures there have, there is more attention to, uh, like discussing how one's life is almost like a, a pseudo therapist, right? Like, uh, actually spending time with patients. And I mean, that's uh, by and large what people are drawn to in the alternative medicine field is that, that attention to detail on an individual level that you don't get with uh, a lot of our normal doctor situations. When we talk about things that are considered medicine somewhere else, that leaves a lot of room for people to go, <laughs> oh, but everything over here is valid. No, absolutely. It's because uh, you don't want to be like, yeah, acupuncture is great, but <laughs> but you go to your acupuncturist and you are relaxing on a table for an hour and a half or whatever while they care for you in a sense like the needles aren't doing anything but right. maybe that maybe that level of personal attention is <laughs> thank you um <laughs> so to kind of drive this back to politics because i i do really think that <laughs> politics is part of the reason part of the place where we fail as a skeptic movement yeah i find that too <laughs> Are there perhaps skeptics who you think are particularly well qualified to discuss politics? Well, I, I guess it depends on which level of politics you're talking about, right? Like there's there are people who do amazing work discussing philosophy or political philosophy. And there's other people who are doing a really, uh, I think, a really good job spreading fact-based information about the current political climate like 
actually, Thomas Smith of Serious Inquiries only, I think, does an amazing job of like getting to the root of misinformation that is being spread and uh, and actually just eviscerating it often. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I listen to his show and opening arguments at with Andrew Torres. Uh, like he also does a really good job of doing that. Uh, and although he's much more generous sometimes than Thomas is <laughs> to, to uh, right wingers. <laughs> Please stay with us through the break and we will return to Atheist's Talk with our guest, Corey Johnston. This is Stephanie Zavan and you're listening to AM 915 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Atheist's Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm your host, Stephanie Zvan. Atheist's Talk is an unusual show. Very few places in the U.S. can someone randomly turn on commercial radio and hear a bunch of atheists talking about topics that interest them. Much of the work to keep us on the air is done by a dedicated group of volunteers, but we need your help, too. Today, we'd like to thank our supporters on Patreon in particular. We'll have a fun extra for you this week. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to our radio fund, please visit minnesotaatheists.org or search for Atheist's Talk on Patreon and sign up for exclusive content. Atheist's Talk is produced with funding from the Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant. If you'd like to advertise on this program, please contact us at radio at minnesotaatheists.org. Our music is composed by member Brent Michael Davids and used with permission. Opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers. You can find Minnesota Atheists' public policy positions at minnesotaatheists.org. While you're on the site, check out our previous shows, browse our articles to see what we're up to, check out our meetup calendar, or sign up for a weekly email to find out about upcoming events and connect with other atheists. And consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists if you're not already. Support our work and help steer our future direction. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org or on Twitter as Atheists Talk to follow up. Corey Johnston is talking with us this morning about the current state of the skeptical movement. Welcome back, Corey. Thank you. You were mentioning that the Opening Arguments podcast, you sometimes feel to be a little bit too generous to right-wingers? I, I, I don't think you actually said too generous, but I, I definitely read that in there. You know, we talk as skeptics about the principle of charity, about, about assuming that people are being honest in their takes on things, even when they're wrong, that kind of thing. Assuming that people don't have ulterior motives for the kinds of arguments that they're making, that sort of thing. How do you think that's working out for us? <laughs> How are we doing at it in your We're opinion? awful at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Steel manning your opponent is a wonderful thing. Being generous and the principal charity is all very important, but only to a limit. And I just want to interject here that steel manning is the process of basically taking on the best possible version of your opponent's argument, even if they didn't articulate it that way. Yeah, that's right. And, but that all assumes that you're not dealing with liars <laughs> and people who will just 
do whatever they can to win. It's tough to always assume motivation from people, but sometimes it's pretty clear. Like the pro-life anti-choice movement flat out lies about the facts about reproductive health for women. And we're somehow supposed to reason with these people as though they're actually presenting an argument rather than what they're actually doing, which is just saying whatever they can to convince people who don't know better and using that to win whatever their goal is, which is to never have any women have control over their bodies ever. In my go-to example is anti-vaxxers who start every argument over in the same place, even though you have addressed and yeah. challenged um, the arguments that they make. There's various tactics, right, that people use, and it's like sea lioning where uh, you just keep asking questions and tre- keep poking it. Well, what about this thing and what about that thing? And I mean, 9-11 truthers do it as well where they are just asking questions. Or again with anti-vaxxers. I'm not against all vaccinations. Oh, well, what about the adjusted schedule? <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I've been reading a lot on, on fascism. I don't know why, but... <laughs> huh. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> yes. What a weird it's hobby. It's an odd time to read up on fascism. So I've been reading a lot on fascism, and that's... The thing is, fascists lie. Like, that's their thing. So when somebody comes to you and says, well, I'm not racist. I'm just really concerned about the welfare of our white children. Well, uh, dude, that's, <laughs> that's fascism. <laughs> yeah, that's racist. Like, it's just the level of dishonesty has to be acknowledged. And we can't pretend that we're dealing with normal arguments. It's easy to say that. Are there good ways that you have found for doing that when you're taking something on? Or is this really a matter of listening to the people who have seen these arguments, who've studied these arguments. Yeah. And that, that really is it. Like you just really got to listen to, like you say, like historians who study fascism or study the Nazi movement in, in Germany at the time or, or anything, right? Like listen to the experts, like Dr. Jen Gunter's on Twitter all the time, arguing with anti-choicers She's an expert. She knows what she's talking about, but they they keep arguing as though they're arguing against me, who is just an average Joe, right? Well, and I ask because I don't want to make this look easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, by any stretch. I really do think that is one of our our failings as a movement, and and when I say we, I mean we. I've considered myself part of the skeptical movement for a very long time at this point that we start to identify as skeptics or as people who think critically or even just as people who get things right (laughs) and i can't think of a faster track to stopping listening to somebody with expertise when you're challenged. Yeah. You know, we were talking about social justice and the number of people who think that they are somehow an expert in the issues faced by transgender people because they 
discovered that they exist and now they have some questions <laughs> because they've thought critically about it. And they think that even when somebody who is transgender, who is transgender and speaks for a lot of other transgender people as an activist because they have spent years doing this. Yeah. Yeah, and they just decide that that because they're a skeptic, they know more. They're just asking questions. <laughs> yeah, because because they're smart yeah. and they know how to ask questions and it does always seem to come down to and I'm one of these I'm a white dude. <laughs> it some seems to often come down to us, the white dudes, to be like, oh, well, but what about this thing that I didn't know anything about five minutes ago? And I'm so smart, I must know the truth of the reality for you, the trans person, right? <laughs> like, we, uh, our overconfidence is certainly uh, playing a role, I think. Yeah, overconfidence is, is an excellent word. Um, <laughs> I, not not for you specifically. I'm not trying to you know, <clears throat> pick you up and, and shame you here, but uh, as a movement. Um, because I, I feel like if we are doing skepticism right, and isn't that a loaded phrase, um, <laughs> yeah. we're, we should actually be more uncertain. Yes, um, that's right. And and less confident in what we know and uh, maybe even more likely to speak in probabilities instead of certainties. Yeah, if your life is plagued with doubt, then you're doing skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> or you have an anxiety disorder, which that, that happens too. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I, uh, I often think of it because... Uh, Michael Shermer and Skeptic Magazine. Uh, I don't know if they still do it, but a while ago they were like printing off skept uh, skeptic cards, so you could get your uh, official skeptic card that labels you a skeptic, as though that's a thing that you can just label yourself with, right? By paying for a subscription. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I can hmm. pay money to be a skeptic. That's not how this works in any way. <laughs> <laughs> At least not well. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and I, and I say that kind of flipply, but at the same time, um, <laughs> Michael Shermer has had a column in uh, Scientific American for quite a while that has been many, many, many times um, criticized for just giving wrong information. Right. Yeah. Well, um, and I don't know if I don't, oh, I don't actually follow him on Twitter anymore because the takes were just too awful, but he, <laughs> it, it's like he doesn't know anything sometimes. <laughs> so, so then he applies critical thinking to the very, as you, as you were talking before, like the non knowledge that he has and he thinks that that's somehow useful. Yeah, not to, uh, not, not to pick on Michael Shermer, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually pretty okay with with picking. Well, and in part, I'm okay with picking on Michael Shermer because he is, you know, the president or executive director or whatever it is of skeptic uh, 
skeptic organization. I don't remember exactly what their, their official name is. And he is um, the editor, uh, I think, in chief and chief columnist of Skeptic Magazine. Yeah. And he doesn't have any actual oversight in either. So if it isn't the public doing this, nobody will. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, it's, it's a lot of claiming. And if we don't, yeah, you know, he's still considered check those claims. Are we skeptics? Yeah, that's right. And he's still considered like a, a, a prominent voice, like by a lot of people who, where I, where now I just kind of dismiss him out of hand almost. Cause, uh, I've stopped taking him seriously, uh, after some of the things that he said, <laughs> but there are still lots of people who do take him very seriously and that's yeah. troubling. And, and I should say that, you know, when he rose to prominence, um, he did it in part by talking about um, critical thinking broadly. He did it uh, a little bit in talking about communicating as a skeptic, um, neither of which actually does require any content knowledge. Yeah. Um, but those aren't columns you can write month after month. Right. Yeah. At some point, you have to actually acquire some level of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be a theme for this discussion. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Like, that, that's actually, I mean, not to get to talk about myself too much, but that's what holds me back a lot of times about discussing a subject or doing even an entire podcast episode on it is that I just don't have the knowledge at the time that I want to do it. I, I find myself on one side of the issue. I'm often passionate about it. and But in order to speak about it in a way that can actually educate people or that is actually informed, I just don't have the information. All right. Please stay with us through the break, and we will return to Atheist's Talk with our guest, Corey Johnston. I'm Stephanie Zaban, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice from Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Atheist's Talk. I'm your host, Stephanie Zaman. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org or on Twitter as Atheist's Talk to follow up. Today's guest is Corey Johnston. Welcome back. So you were working on not tooting your own horn, <laughs> which, you know, I have you on here for a reason. So I'm, I'm completely okay with you doing that. But I will also say, for my own part here, there are interviews that I don't do because I know that I am not qualified to make even decent criticisms if somebody says something on the show that's yeah. just nonsense. So I mostly do interviews <laughs> on subjects that I know something about, or I have at least talk to people and read criticisms to have some decent sense of where the person I'm putting on air might right. be weak. I've done quite a few interviews outside of my wheelhouse. I try to te use them as learning experiences because I will talk to an actual expert or whatever, but I think it shows when I'm talking to somebody and I'm not that informed on a subject. I did an interview with Phil Klinkner who is like a, a political science professor at, I can't remember which university. And we were discussing survey data. 
and my lack of like knowledge on the acts, how surveys are done, how survey data is collected, it really came through. So it, it shows when you're going outside of what you might know, right? At least you hope it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's part of the reason I don't do those interviews is because I usually do interviews like that. I have a something of a reputation of being good at this and people <laughs> kind of trust the people I get on to talk about things. And I hope that if I screw it up, <laughs> it, people can catch that. But I don't even know that that's the audience that I'm reaching out to most of the time. Yeah, it's it's hard to know what people will take away from it, I guess, eh? Which is why we have to be careful. All right. So as somebody who, like me, does tackle a number of topics, basically, I'm not a specialist in something. How do you work to keep people, I guess, from taking you more seriously than they should? And how do you balance that with, well, this is something I do actually know something about? I'm not actually convinced I know anything about anything. <laughs> so, that probably helps, actually. <laughs> so that's kind of my starting point. <laughs> I I don't know. I try to stay humble and, and I try to consistently state that I am not the one to be listening to. Like, I might have a surface level knowledge about a variety of things, like you say, like, but I am pretty decent at spotting an expert who's being honest. And I think that that is where my strength lies in as an interviewer. And so I try not often not to put my own opinions out there when I'm talking to somebody who knows way more than I do about these things. I hope that answered the question. It does. <laughs> Although you may not love the follow-up. Have there been times that you have been wrong and put somebody out there who wasn't as much of a credible expert as you thought they were? Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of interviews at this point, so it's hard to really nail one down, but I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that I have mistaken somebody for being better at either the, the su subject that we're discussing or being better at critical thinking and spreading skepticism than I, then they're not as good as I thought they were kind of thing. On this one, I won't ask you to name names because they are your past guests. <laughs> Is there anything you've learned from the experience that you have maybe figured out how to do that less or to be more sure about the people you put in front of an audience? Yeah, I think I think the key is to not just get guests because I happen to like them. <laughs> Wait, you mean skepticism isn't just confirming your own biases? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Okay. <laughs> This is world shattering. This will change everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The skeptical movement is now uh, will be better for that advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think early on in my uh, podcasting, I did a lot of. I like this person. I like what they've said. So therefore, they deserve to be on my show. And as time went on, like I'm a lot more careful now. <laughs> I actually know a lot more about each of the people that I prospective guests before I book them. Are there specific things you do to research people while you're, when you're making up your mind? Uh, mainly I follow them on Twitter or Facebook. It's funny, but the takes that people have on Twitter 
will often give you a real insight into what they actually think about things and where they're coming from. I mean, and not that that's bad for a lot of people. Like, like I say, I used Jen Gunter as an example earlier and following her on Twitter is it's, it's informative, it's entertaining and it's helpful. Also maddening because she's dealing with a lot of nonsense, but yes. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. But yeah, so when I had her on the show, I had been following her on Twitter for months and she was a great guest and she's a, a brilliant person. And I mean, sometimes I get the chance to go through the episode and I'll pull quotes from the guest and I could make memes out of them. I haven't done it in a few months, but when I had her on, there was almost too many quotes to use because she just, she has that breadth of knowledge, right? And that's the kind of guest I always want to have. (laughs) (laughs) Are there particular categories of guests that you find yourself shying away from? Yeah, I do try to avoid middle-aged white dudes as guests. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that seems discriminatory. (laughs) Well, and I'm I'm actually going to challenge you on that, not because I necessarily think you're wrong, but because I would like you to explain the reasoning behind that. Because often we don't get it. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not even saying that I do, but like when you're talking about uh, politics, often we forget that we are a very privileged group. And it, it comes across, I think, when you're discussing issues of, like I wouldn't interview a rich guy when I'm talking about poverty. I wouldn't interview a, a, a white guy when I'm talking about racism. And I shouldn't be interviewing guys when I'm talking about sexism. <laughs> so, Okay. Tell everybody again, please, where they can find podcasts and decent examples on how to do skepticism. <laughs> well, Brainstorm Podcast is uh, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, pretty much anywhere you can get any other podcast. Our website is brainstormblog.net. And I've actually got a bit of like a blog there and I've got quite a few interviews up on the skeptic studio side of things. And then the panel show is it's the rec table or the shift to reason radio sections, because I like to make things as complicated as possible. (laughs) Thank you so much, Corey, for coming on and making things complicated for us. (laughs) You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning into Atheist's Talk. This is Stephanie Zavan, your host. Please join us again next Sunday. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you appreciate the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and our donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at minnesotaatheists.org. This is Atheists Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Have a great Sunday.